0: You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of solace. Welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn. And in this episode, we are going through part two of our series: How to Get the Most Out of Your Twenties, How to Live in Your Twenties So That You Set Up the Rest of Your Life for Relative Success. You're aiming at the right telos, and you can get to forty and feel comfortable and happy, as few regrets as possible, uh, with the decisions based on the decisions you made in your twenties. So, in the last episode, uh, we were talking about the pitfalls. And the bad paths and the bad advice that people so often give, worldly advice in your 20s, and it can really shipwreck uh, what you want to accomplish with your life. It's not something that can't be redeemed and that Christ doesn't work through. So, again, if you have been through those things, God is sovereign and He can work it out and we can repent and He can help us and we can make restitution, as it were. Um, so, don't feel dejected if you're 40 and you've made these mistakes. But I have talked to a lot of people. After I published that first episode, and they were like, Yeah, man, that's so accurate. I'm 40. You're absolutely right. I wish I could go back and help some of those younger people. Unfortunately, they can a lot of times so that they don't make those mistakes. So, again, today we're continuing with the argument that how you live in your 20s, the choices you make, again, they set the trajectory for the next couple of decades of your life. Again, today, We're going to talk about the positive aspects of this, which decisions, what are the key choices and key things you should be leaning into so that you can have good results. So again, last time pitfalls, this time uh, the positive side of the equation. Now, as we jump into the episode today, I want to lay out a couple of, I guess what I'll call guiding principles to frame our discussion in today's episode. So first of all, your 20s are largely about what I'm going to call the season of seeds, the season of seeds. Not all seasons in life are the same. And when we're young, one of the things I remember especially in my 20s, I didn't even fathom the concept of seasons. Right? You've actually lived through so little of life, and because there's so much change in your teenage years, you know go going from high school to driving a car to uh getting married moving on with your life there's so many milestones that you fail it's such a blur you fail to recognize that there really are seasons to life and you know you start having young kids and you think this is the season I'll always be in and it's really not true so one of the things is to to recognize this early you know your 20s are a unique season in your life and other seasons are very different this is one of the things that older wiser people can help you to understand. They know what it's like to live through multiple seasons and your 20s are one of those seasons. Again, when I was 20, I had like zero comprehension of this. I just thought it's always going to be like this, but it really isn't, right? Again, it's because of a youthful lack of long-term perspective. Some seasons are for plowing and sowing and some seasons are for reaping. And we need to recognize that our 20s are largely, they're largely the season of plowing and sowing. It's, it's formative foundational work and the fruit is going to come later, right? Your 20s are about the hard work of turning soil over and planting seeds with oftentimes little or no signs of growth, let alone fruit. So this is, seasonally speaking, what your 20s are like. It's this time to plow the ground, to sow the seeds, and to keep being diligent, to learn things like productivity, to steal a phrase from Doug Wilson. And then what I've realized at the age of 36, I'm just now at that phase where like, everything that I was doing in my 20s is just now starting to pay off in, in massive ways. Right In my career, I'm starting to see, wow, I'm at a place where I really start enjoying my work. That I find more meaning in what I'm doing. I'm not low level. I'm not mid-level. I've actually climbed um, in the structure, owning your own businesses, stuff like that. It's much sweeter than I could have anticipated when I was 20. When I was 20 and in my 20s, I was working low to mid-level jobs, being a store manager at a retail place, stuff like this. And it was really hard and honestly, not that enjoyable for me. I was still looking ahead to getting to the point where it's like, this is not really the work I want to do, but I have to be faithful, right? I was, I was paying my dues, punching the ticket to use those expressions, right? And now at 36, I'm at the place where I want to be. I remember reading this about actors, like most of the really successful actors are like 40s and 50s, right? Because they spent their 20s and 30s just like grinding out crappy commercials, Right. And finally, they worked their way up and they got into better roles and they were better known. But again, we have this myth in our culture that you're just going to be hyper successful in your 20s. And it's really not the case. Right. This is the grind it out, sow the seed, be patient, keep plotting decade for most people of their life. Now, even people who are super, super successful in their 20s, as we'll unpack, they still lack things like experience right they still lack things like the perspective that an older wiser person will have so you may be one of those people that gets really far in your 20s and that's awesome but i think as a general rule that's that's typically not the case so i was recently talking with michael foster about this and he's i think 40 somewhere in there and uh, he was saying the same thing man my 20s and 30s were like learning um and some older people had told him in the past like god forbid you should get popular and your platform should grow before you're 40, right? Because it could actually shipwreck you. And so we've got to realize that God's actually doing a good thing by causing those young years to like you don't get promoted to the, you know, executive position right away. Now, again, some people will, that's the exception. But for most of us, that might actually destroy us. So God's being gracious by allowing us to slowly grow in our careers, marriages, etc. And then the other thing I would say is in your marriage, and with your children. So in my marriage, I thought when I was 20, like, I'll never be more in love than I am right now. And granted, those emotions were really powerful. They really were. But they're so much more stable now. And I love my wife so much more after 16 years of marriage than I did when I first met her, than the first year of our marriage, right? It's so much, people would always tell me like, love is, you know, it's like a fine wine and it's going to get better over time. And I'd be like, yeah, right. Old person. You don't know what you're talking about, grandma. And by the way, grandmas were like 38 years old back then, my age now. And, um, they were right though. I mean, really, if you really invest in your marriage and you really put in the hard work, things definitely, definitely get better over time. Same again with children, um, as a dad, honestly, like the early years of small children was really hard. You know, you're cleaning diapers and you're crying babies and feeding. And you don't really, I mean, every now and then you get to snuggle, you get to play with your kids. Don't get me wrong. I love that. But for me now, the payoff is so much greater. Like I get to go hunting with my boys. I get to see them actually be useful when we're, you know, moving across the country or whatever. They're actually useful. And I can start to understand that. So your 20s, are really, and this is the encouragement I hope for a lot of young people, your 20s are about the day of small things, right? It's about learning how to be faithful in little acts of obedience every day, all the time, establishing habits that are going to mount up eventually in your life, right? Meaning the real fruit of these decisions, like getting married, digging into your career, being a faithful worker, cultivating masculine or feminine virtue, changing diapers, nursing little ones, spanking bottoms, right? The fruit of this comes many years later. And again, I think we need this perspective because when we're young, we tend to think, oh man, it's always going to be this hard or it's always going to be like this. It's never going to pay off. When I had my first kid and we were basically broke, I remember thinking, how could we ever afford eight children? And what I couldn't see was that, well, because as you keep working and by the time You know, you're, you're for us, our third child came along. It's like, well, we actually had a lot more money. I was further in my career and it wasn't the big deal. I thought it would be uh, in my early twenties, right? Get it out of your mind that you're going to be rich by 25, right? You're not going to have a lot of gravitas as a man, like weightiness, because the reality is you haven't really done anything. You don't have a lot of experience. And so you haven't earned that respect. You're not the older woman of Titus 2 in your 20s telling young ladies how to be productive in the home. I always kind of laugh at this, right? When you have young women who have like two small, small children and they're trying to like tell people like how to be moms in a Titus 2 way and it's like, well, honey, you don't actually have that much experience and we don't know what the fruit of your work is going to be, right? This is one of the reasons I think young people, new converts especially, are, are exhorted in the scripture not to become elders, right? And obviously women are not becoming elders anyway, but you're not elevated to a place of teaching other people until you have experience under your belt, right? I think in the church, elders were actually elders, like older people, people with wisdom, people you could look at their household and their grown children, you could see the fruit of their lives. So again, I think if we get out of the mindset of seeing like, I'm going to be 20 and super successful. I'm going to be a mega church pastor, you know, or whatever, you know, I'm going to be a woman with a super huge Instagram platform where everybody follows me. That's really shouldn't be the focus. Just focus on being faithful. It's the day of small things. You you're going to grow in those things and eventually they'll be fruit and you'll have bigger platforms to speak to people. Think about somebody like Rachel Jankovic, right? She is she has a pretty cool platform. She's still a mommy. She's still doing that work, but there's some fruit in her life, right? She's got some experience. You can see some of her older children. Things are turning out well. And so, okay, now she's in a position to do a little bit of teaching for younger women, right? Young people, you're not in the season of giving much advice. You're not in the season of telling older people for the most part how it is. So many times, right? We run into the younger people and they're like really proud and boastful about like, I remember having conversations about like homeschooling. And somebody was like, oh, we're going to do it this way because this is the only right education method for homeschooling. And anybody who doesn't do this, you know, just arrogant. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, how many kids do you have? Well, none yet. I'm like, okay, well, calm down, junior. You know, let's, let's wait a little while. Let's see how the fruit of your work actually pans out. Be humble. Don't try to be a teacher at your age. Just build your family and grow. And over time, you'll have more wisdom. And people will respect you more for that, right? We're talking about harvest things like wisdom. And in your 20s, you're mostly in the stage of planting seeds and being faithful. Your 20s are about establishing habits of gritty, grind it out type hustling at lots of little things that don't seem very significant at the time. And so young people need to be encouraged, right? You're going to work jobs, men, that don't seem glamorous at all. Oftentimes they're entry level right? You're going to be wiping dirty bottoms, men and women, right? You're going to be paddling bottoms and praying at bedtime and falling asleep, nursing mothers, right? While you're trying to learn how to nurse, right? Going through that. I remember my wife with our firstborn, like having to go to lactation consultants and figure out how to do this and thinking like, I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to figure out how to get a proper latch. And then, you know, you know, years later by our third, she's a pro, right? These things grow over time. The, the, the 20s are about being faithful in the little things so that you can one day be elevated to more. This is God's pattern. You condescend, you take on humble service, and then the Lord exalts over time. He expands your territory, he gives you more responsibility. And I think that's something that men need to... Understand, when you do a good job at your job, God is going to reward you with more responsibility, and you should be grateful, but understand it's more responsibility. Same with being a mother. So be patient, build habits of faithfulness on a daily basis, and don't expect to see fruit for a long time. As you're doing this, don't lose heart. Again, this season of small beginnings doesn't last forever. And we need to hold on to the promise of the Lord, both in the Psalms and in Galatians, that those who reap in tears or in hard work and sorrow and toil, those who reap in tears will gather the harvest with shouts of joy. So all the hard work, spanking bottoms and cleaning bottoms and feeding mouths, and you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm totally exhausted. How do I keep doing this? It's worth it, right? It is completely worth it. Not only because it's rendered in faithful service to God, but because there's a harvest coming your way, right? Galatians 6, do not give up, but keep sowing and you will reap if you remain faithful. So remain faithful, mothers and fathers and young 20-somethings. The work you're doing to build households is glorious and it is good and God will honor that work. You're not always going to work menial, low-level jobs. You're not always going to be wiping Bottoms. It doesn't come all at once, the change or the reward or the harvest, but in his faithfulness, success and promotions and resources and the fruit of grown children who are godly and bring blessing back to you. Well, these harvests do come. And you can see that more at 36 or 40 or 50 than you possibly can when you're 20 years old. So take heart, be encouraged, and keep plotting. Now, as one example, I think about this as a man. Uh, recently this season, I was hunting with my boys and early on, you know, I would take them hunting and it was like, you know, two minutes in, they're complaining, I'm tired, I'm cold, I want to go home. And you're like, oh, jeez." Or even when they're really little, like, again, I love infants, but honestly, they're mostly work, right? You don't actually get to experience in real time that they're an actual blessing. And I think in agrarian communities in the past, which is most of our world, by the way, you you would have seen your kids being helpful at much younger ages, but I've got to see that, right? We were packing out an elk and my oldest, who's 14 and my middle, who's 12, like they're on the mountain carrying serious weight with me from the packed out animal. And we're in the dark and it's like 10 degrees and it's brutal outside and they're keeping me company. And my oldest is carrying a, a hind quarter and he's holding the hind quarter while I'm carving it off the body of the animal. And I think into myself, like, kids are actually useful. Kids are actually a blessing. Again, you don't see that when they're nine months old. They're cute, and they cry, and they make messes. But there does come a point in your life where you get to see the actual blessing, right? Kids, if you wanted to build dominion, you wanted to build a farm, you wanted to build culture, you actually need human beings to do that work, right? And it's a tremendous blessing. When your children make that transition into being productive members of the household, and you start to see when God said that children are a blessing, you you understand they're not just cute and Instagrammable, they actually help you, right? They're useful. So again, when you're listening to constant crying, you're trying to keep your toddler from electrocuting himself with a butter knife, you're spanking someone for the 10 millionth time over the smallest little sin, you're trying to help your wife keep from going insane in the midst of sleep deprivation and constant baby talk, right? Again, you mostly see the hard work and not the payoff, but we need to know that it's coming. Think of your 20s like planting a fruit tree, right? Fruit trees, most of them take at least six years after planting before they start to bear any fruit. And some of the best ones are about 10 years, right? That's a really good picture of what your 20s are like, they're about planting and not seeing a ton of fruit. Just keep watering that tree and believing in faith and trusting that this is going to lead to something good. God says, discipline your sons and when they're older, they will not depart from the way. Well, you have to take that in faith. All this hard work is going to pay off, but I'm not going to see it for 10, 15, 20 years. Think of the fruit tree. Think of the cherry tree. It's a really good picture of what your 20s are about. They're the planting and not seeing a lot of fruit. Trust the promise. Those who are faithful in little are given much. And what you want to do is continue to build habits of faithfulness. Again, trust the system. So that was point number one. Point number two, guiding principle for today's episode, we need to give our sons and daughters a 50 and 500 year legacy vision, right? So much of the problem is A, we don't have one of those for ourselves. It's Parents, but then our children, like naturally in our day and age, we're very individualistic, we're subjective, like hyper subjective. The only person we think about is ourselves, and the only time frame we think of ourselves in is right now. How can I have pleasure today, right now? And so, what we need to be instilling in our young people is this legacy perspective. What do you want to build in 50 years and 500 years? And it's huge, the 500 year perspective as well, because you realize then that we're all. As family members, we're tied to this together. You can't accomplish a 500 year goal, a legacy vision. You can't accomplish that in your own lifetime. So you're going to have to pass it on to your kids. And this is what we need to cultivate. This is what we need to cultivate. So what we need to be doing is thinking for our own lives first where do you want to be in 10 or 20 years? Start there. Where do you want to be in 50 or 500 years? Right. And then we can start figuring out how to aim for that. In other words, what we want to do is we want to set legacy goals and we w- want to implement legacy systems that help us to achieve those goals. As we do this for ourselves, we then can pass it on to our children. Here's one example that I want to give of something that I shared recently on Twitter. This is aimed at at ladies. So I said, ladies, you could spend your early 20s building a household Stacking babies on your lap and establishing a legacy that will last 500 years. Or you could trade that for empty sex with strangers and an overpriced psychology degree. Your choice. Right? So what am I doing with a tweet like this? Well, this is often how I talk to my sons. I give them two paths and I just put it in the language of today. So think about this. If you raise children, say you raise, you know, five to eight children. And you think in a few generations, pretty quickly, you're going to be 200 years down the road. And you say, well, I have a direct impact on that through the way I raise my kids, through the vision that I give them, through the institutions and households that we build. So through your children, you really have impact in the next couple hundred years. It's really quite fascinating when you think about it. Or here's another path. You can just think about what you want today, go to college, get a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt, sleep with everybody. Probably get some STDs and end up with a lame psychology degree that's basically good for nothing. So which of these two things would you rather have, right? Have those conversations with your kids. Paint the portrait of where godliness can lead according to faith and the promise, and then show them where this empty promiscuity, for example, feminism, college, career, et cetera, will take you. Right? So this is one of the things we need to be doing with our kids. We need to be talking about our legacy goals. The, the kind of legacy you want to leave behind when you die, we are going to die, and it's really not that far away. Even if we live 50, 60, 70 more years, where are your offspring going to be in 500 years? What institutions, truths, family visions are you going to leave behind in the faith? Right? Remember the promise to Abraham was to you and to a thousand generations. Right. So God was teaching Abraham to think about what's coming in a thousand years. Don't just think about your life. Think about your offspring a thousand years from now. Think about the people who are going to be part of your household by way of extension of what you do through your kids. Right. That's what we, that's a perspective that we need to have and we need to pass on. And when we do this, the point of it is that we realize we and our children are in the same team, right? Our Parents and then grown children, we're on the same team working for the same legacy vision. Right? Here's the reality in America today. Everybody has a legacy plan. Everybody has a legacy plan. Some of them just suck. Right? My friend Dan always reminds me of this. He says, listen, if you're a turd of a human and you're a selfish person and you raise selfish turd of a human sons, then you got the legacy that you deserved, right? You got a worthless legacy because you're a worthless person, right? So, for example, this is one example that's very prevalent in our culture today, right? When I was growing up, I heard adults all around me repeatedly talking about how they couldn't wait for us kids, our generation, to grow up and get out of the house, to get out of their hair, right? Our, Our generation of parents were so eager to get rid of the responsibility of raising children so that they could get ready for their t- retirement, right? And retirement was that time when they would spend the inheritance on themselves. They were the prodigal parents, right? Rather than passing on, as the Bible prescribes, passing on an inheritance to our sons, what did they do? They planned to use the inheritance on themselves, right? They were going to spend their retirements on beaches and golf courses, traveling the world and generally having nothing to do with their own children. The number of times, that I heard expressions like these, once you're out of my house, you can do whatever you want. You won't be my responsibility after you're 18. right? This is the kind of language and life goals that drive generational wedges even deeper. This is the way that you stunt your legacy. right? If you're telling your children that you have nothing to do with them after they leave your home, I mean, first of all, it's unbiblical. It's like legacy suicidal. Right? There's no better way to drive a wedge between you and the coming generations. But you cannot have a 500-year plan or an Abrahamic 1,000-year plan if you're really, like you're really feeling it. Right? This cannot be accomplished by one generation, but you're certainly not going to accomplish it if you tell their, your kids, like, you turn 18, you're on your own. I want nothing to do with you after that point. Go find your own wife. Go find your own husband. You're not my responsibility anymore, completely unbiblical, all of it, but it teaches our kids to live for themselves, to not be responsible for anyone outside of their own circle, maybe their own household, but certainly not anyone else, not their parents, not their relatives, right? It's a selfish model. It's an anti-generational legacy model, right? What we're doing is we're teaching our kids in this instance to embrace a legacy of self-centeredness, right? That's what we're going to pass on to them. So again, what we need to do is pass on a different mindset about legacy. And this brings us to the third ground rule or principle that frames our discussion today. And it's this, finally, parents need to take responsibility for launching their children and aiming them at the right target, right? This is very much tied to this legacy model. Remember in the Psalms, we're told that children are a blessing from the Lord, that he who fills his quiver with them is wise and blessed by the Lord. Well, what's a quiver full of? It's full of arrows. Your children are arrows. Arrows, by the way, it's not like a cute analogy. Arrows are weapons of war. They're made to be shaped and aimed and shot at something. They're meant to take down the enemy. They're meant to fight in the culture war and to build the walls of Christendom. That's what your arrows, your children are meant to do. And who shoots them? The man, the warrior, the mother, and the father right? You aim them at things and then you shoot them, right? You are the one that is responsible for aiming your children in life and that doesn't end when they're 18 years old. Certainly most of the work is done before them. Most of the formative work is done before them, but your responsibility does not end at 18 years old, right? Fathers have this immense responsibility to make sure that their children find godly spouses, right? Think about The example we have in our father in the faith, Abraham, Abraham went and saw it as his responsibility to go and find a spouse for Isaac. And so he commissions his servant and he goes and he's specific. You will not marry. You will not marry one of the women of the land around us. One of these godless women. We will find you a godly wife. And so that's what Abraham does. But how many many parents today just send their kids off to college, which is like a drunken frat party right a promiscuous drunken frat party and they're like well i hope you figure it out and you know if they even tell them that right especially for women this is incredibly irresponsible but it's irresponsible for our sons as well right do we as parents view it as our responsibility to make sure that our children find the right spouses that's going to impact them and us for a long time you remember esau esau marries terrible women and then it says in the scripture in genesis that Right? Those women made their parents' life miserable. Right? Isaac and Rebecca. So we need to be helping our children figure these things out early on, aiming them again as arrows. Our children need to see that they are part of this multi generational project and we're helping them in it. They're not special little snowflakes who need to follow their hearts and do whatever the heck they want to do. They're an extension of this. Ever flowing stream that is our legacy, right It didn't start with them, and it doesn't end with them, and so we need to help them think intergenerationally and then launch them in the world appropriately. Fathers, you should help your sons figure out a trade right in the old world a a more ancient world that existed you know even a hundred years ago, it was obvious that a father was responsible to give his son a trade if you didn't have a a profession, a trade, a skill, some way to make money. Then you would die, right? Your livelihood is your life. It's how you provide. So, if fathers were responsible to pass that on. You're responsible today, right? Obviously, we have different ways that we go about learning trades and professions, but fathers, you're responsible. You're responsible for your daughters to ensure that they find godly husbands. Don't send them to college in the world and say, well, good luck. You're not my responsibility anymore. This is really not a Christian mindset. Right Again, helping our children launch does not begin on their 18th birthday either. If we want to help them find a spouse, for example, we should start hanging out with other godly families when our children are young. We should get to know their parents. We should get to know the children. And we should be identifying potential godly spouses, praying, helping to disciple our kids, being friends with those other people, helping them disciple their children in the context of the greater community right? We see which relationships develop over time. We teach our children that who they marry will impact our entire family for generations to come, right? And then we help them to make wise decisions. I tell my children that all the time and they have that expectation. This is what fathers are for. We help our daughters learn household management from an early age, how to care for younger siblings, how to cook and how to manage the home and the household. We teach our boys how to work diligently with their hands, right? All of this training can start and can get pretty intense as early as eight to 10 years old. To quote Ron Swanson, child labor laws are destroying this country. And I actually believe that, right? Children can work and should have responsibility as appropriate for their age. And they can take on way more than you think. If you want more conversation about this in particular, I would definitely recommend Joel Salatin's book titled Folks, This Ain't Normal. I think in the early chapters he talks about how you can involve your children in work and some really foundational stuff. Joel also, by the way, writes a lot about passing on legacies and uh, inheritances in a way that is helpful and I think more biblical than what most people think today, right? We think when you die you give an inheritance. And Joel says no, inheritance is traditionally our living. So anyway, that's one good resource. And I would encourage you to check that out. So what I want to do now is I want to move on from the general principles and I want to tackle particulars. I want to tackle particulars. These are the ways, the positive ways that you can get the most out of your 20s. So number one, how can you get the most out of your 20s? You can have and develop a specific mission in life you find that mission, you go hard in the paint, and though you change careers, though you change where you live, your mission is going to remain, right? Because it's based on this 2050 year model. And the beauty of this, what is the mission? We've talked a lot in the show about this, but what we have to do is we have to go back to Genesis to understand the mission that men and women have. And I would encourage you at this point, if you really want to dig into how to find your mission, How to understand what it means to be a man taking dominion and then taking a wife to help him in the process of dominion, to be fruitful, to multiply, and then to figure out what your particular skill set and mission is within that greater dominion mission. I would definitely encourage you to check out It's Good to Be a Man by Michael Foster and Non Tenant. They have a lot of practical things in that book to help you figure out what's your mission. So if you're a parent now and you're training teenagers, You're helping your sons and daughters figure out, like, what should their mission be in their 20s? They're 17, 18, whatever, 16. What aim and what trajectory am I supposed to be giving them? I would definitely encourage you to check out this book. It's Good to Be a Man by Michael Foster and Non-Tenant. But this is really the point that men are supposed to have a mission, and that mission is dominion, right? And part of that mission is getting married, having a wife right the the mission comes first then there's marriage once you have a mission then you can invite the woman into the mission and then together you can take dominion by building your household right that means among other things establishing a marriage and then having children being fruitful and multiplying raising future dominion takers right this is all under the heading of really what we've talked about with dominion theology Right, having a particular manly mission. This is what so much of the church is lacking, by the way, is that we don't help our people and our men in particular figure out what is your mission in life, right? How many of us, 40, 50 year old men, we don't know what our mission is or we didn't understand it till much later? Well, if you can understand it in your 20s, you're going to be so much, so much better off. So, tied to this, this is under the same point and under the same heading. But really, you need to prioritize your household in your 20s. Everything in the world is going to pull you away from that, right? So that's really when you're getting married, you're having children. In your 20s, you're establishing a household, right? And your career is fueling the household. Now, we get this backwards and men and women think, my career is everything. And then I have this little accessory of my family if I want it because kids are cute, but so are dogs. So why not just have a fur baby instead? right but but the whole point is that it's not college it's not career and this includes for men it's not college it's not career those are not the top priorities in your life for your 20s the best thing that you can be doing is establishing a household if you want to make the most out of your 20s establish a household in your 20s and really start pouring into that and building it prioritize that and then that's going to help you as well not be a workaholic not be so addicted to your career that you you destroy your family, right? Many men get to their thirties and they've ruined one marriage and their kids, first set of kids hate them because they didn't understand this priority. They didn't have the dominion mindset that was driving them at household for the sake of kingdom, right? This is the great thing that you can build is your household. So spend your twenties doing that. Number two, and these aren't, by the way, they're not necessarily in any order, but number two, prioritize rest as much as you do work. So one of the blessings of family is that it helps you keep this perspective. And I would point you to the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon tells you, really, the young man, the young woman, he tells you, he says, look, it's better to have one handful of toil and one hand full of work than two hands full of toil, right? There's actually a story in the book of Ecclesiastes about a young man who just works and works and works, but he has no family to share the blessing with. And so it's all pointless. And that's exactly what Solomon says in his wisdom. He said, it's, it's completely pointless to do this. So what good is it if you make it super far in your career in your twenties, but you don't have anybody to share it with? Because anybody who's done it, you know that it is empty. So household, one of the things that helps us do is prioritize rest, Enjoyment, we're told continually in the book of Ecclesiastes, enjoy life with the wife of your youth, right? The gift of God is to enjoy some of the fruit of your toil, right? To enjoy your children. And one of the things that I definitely, definitely got wrong at points, it was a continual battle early in my 20s, was I was so driven in my career, right? I was so desperate to make it to the top and make it to the top right now and prove to my bosses how motivated I was to sharpen my skill sets, to get promoted, all those things that there were times where it's like I'd go on three or four business trips a month. Right. My wife is at home with small children. I didn't know how to say no to my bosses. I didn't know how to just be more patient. Right. I thought that I could really just put career first. And what I realized over time, it's a perfect recipe for burnout. It's a perfect recipe for your wife to be burned out and, and your kids, man, they need you at home. Down the road, what I did was I was like, you know, I just told my boss, like, I can't travel that much. And they were like, awesome. We totally respect that. Right? I was all afraid that it would cost me promotions and other things. It really, at least in that one job, which I held for a good portion of my 20s, it really didn't. So be courageous, put your household first. And again, to point number two, prioritize rest as much as you do work. If you doubt the benefits of rest, I would encourage you to check out the book. Um, I can provide a link for this, but the book title is called "Rest," and I believe the author is Alex Sujeong Kim Pang. The book is "Rest" by Alex. Say this ten times, Sujeong Kim Pang. I think that's right. I'm pulling it from my memory, but a really phenomenal book. And he shows in the book that listen, the the best, most creative people knew how to prioritize rest in their life, sleeping, deep play, uh, making sure that you're not, you're devoting a certain portion of your life to really deep work, right? Really intense, focused, deep work. But then your life is also really balanced with rest so that you can come back and be refreshed, right? This is one of the reasons that these like world-renowned, famous in history scientists and inventors They were always like really into something like mountain climbing or musical instruments because when they would engage in something that was really rigorous, it would free their mind from what they were working on on a daily basis. And that was the way that they got rest. So again, really important in your 20s, cultivate rest, enjoyment as much as you do work. One of the best ways you can do this is by really building a rhythm into your life of honoring the Sabbath, right? Honor the Lord's day. This is not to be a burden on your life, but it's to bless your life. Don't work on Sunday, right? Let Sunday be a day of fellowship and worship with God's people, right? Spend it with hospitality, have scotch tasting tours, maybe not in your 20s. Go to the people who are 40, right? They're the ones hosting the scotch tasting tour because you can't afford scotch. Been there, done that. But listen, you you need to cultivate a whole attitude for your family of having this day of rest. I promise it will refresh your soul. It'll be good for you, right? The Sabbath is not made to be a burden, but Christ gives us the Sabbath so that we will be refreshed. It's good for us. So another way to prioritize, prioritize rest in your life. Number three, and this goes a lot for men, but for women as well, crush porn and cultivate your marriage bed. So, you know, you look at our culture, pornography is just so corrosive, it's everywhere, and you need to crush it. If you need to get rid of your smartphone, do it. If you need to get a flip phone, do it. If you need to put software on your computer, do it. If you need accountability, do it. But what you have to do, young men especially, you have to crush pornography. It will destroy your marriage. This is why all these young men Are you know twenty year old, twenty five year old men who are so addicted to porn and 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 that whole lifestyle, right? That they they've got erectile dysfunction. You got twenty five year olds on Viagra and the other ED knockoff medications, right? The same thing will come from sleeping around. But pornography culture is absolutely destructive. You would be surprised how many young people. Are struggling with it, right? And here you have young people who, you know, you, you get addicted to it. And it's like crack cocaine. And so we need to help our sons, free them. Fathers, you need to be having conversations with your boys. Are you looking at porn? You know, what, do they have a smartphone, right? You, you kind of have to assume that it's a temptation and they probably are if you're not taking active watchful measures against it. But guys, listen, it's something that has to be crushed. And women too. Women struggle with this in rising numbers as well. And it needs to be crushed and cut out of your life, right? Get the help that you need, but crush it at all costs. And it it really is tied to yours because this is really a part of the, the question of your sexuality in your 20s, right? What we need to do is we need to crush porn in our lives, crush the hold that it has on many of us. But the way part of the solution here, as we're seeking to honor God, is that we need to be cultivating the marriage bed in a very Proverbs 518 and following type way, where the marriage bed is a place not just of procreation, but of deep and abiding pleasure with your spouse. I often encourage people, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and they'll say, You know, Pastor, I'm really struggling with lust. It's a married man in this situation. I say, Okay. And this is so, so common. I, they say, I'm really struggling with lust. And I said, Well, awesome. How frequent is sex? Not very. Okay. Well, obviously, we want to put sin to death. But one of the things we want to do is obey 1 Corinthians 7. And we also want to make sex with our spouse regular and cultivate this relationship, the marriage bed with our spouse, so that it is fruitful, right? It's pleasurable, something that is satisfying our appetites. If you want to starve the appetites for junk food, feed your soul with solid, nourishing food, and then some of those appetites are going to decrease, right? The Proverbs says this exact, exact thing, right? Even bitter things taste good to somebody who's starving, right? So what do you do? Well, you keep yourself well-fed and well-nourished with the marriage bed, and then a lot of these things become so much less enticing to us in the first place. But listen, if you want to destroy your life in your 20s, pornography and masturbation, right? Absolutely horrible, destructive for both sexes. And so we need to actively make war on these things. So that was point number three. Point number four, get marriage counseling early and often in your marriage. So one of the things um, that I've talked to a lot of people in the church about, I remember actually preaching on this one time. Um, So I'm in my Mid 30s, early to mid 30s at this point, and I'm preaching, and I was encouraging the people in the church, like it's not shameful to go and get marriage counseling. Like I, and I said, like I was in seminary, um, my wife and I were newly married, um, didn't come from really robust Christian homes, and so we went and we got marriage counseling, and it was hugely helpful, and it greatly benefited us. And I had an elder in the church come up afterwards, and he told me, he said, "Wow, how shameful." that a man of God would admit that he needed help in his marriage. Well, not, you know, not surprisingly, we had a, some in-depth conference, conversations about that. Uh, eventually, that elder would go under discipline and leave the Christian faith, pretty much leave the church. So not at all surprising, I think, what they were saying at that point. But here's the notion, right, that we're too proud to get help or if we need help, that that's somehow shameful. Nothing could be further from the truth. It takes maturity and wisdom to admit that we need help. And so, what I would say to you, if you if you do get married in your twenties, especially as young people, you really desperately need to invest in a pastor, elders in your church who are wise, older, have godly marriages and godly children, and get counseling, get help. You don't even have to wait until there's something catastrophic going on. Now, a lot of people will do this; they will get. Pre-marriage counseling, and I think that pre-marriage counseling is helpful, but it's kind of like telling somebody to ha- how to fly a plane when they're not actually in the plane, right? And so you need to get in the plane and fly it, and have somebody next to you. And I think this is why I would say within the first year of marriage, you ought to go through like six to ten weeks of marriage counseling, right? Go through Ken Sandy's book Peacemaker, go through conflict resolution. You can work through issues. You can learn how to forgive each other. You can learn how to take the log out of your own eye in very practical ways that will impact your marriage. And it's really just a wonderful investment. So I would just encourage people to get counseling, right? The problem is the longer that sin exists in your life, this is right. John Owen says this in the mortification of sin. The longer that sin exists in your life, the harder it is to kill that sin later and to uproot it from your heart later on. And so what we want to do is not let sin just dwell in our hearts. And particularly as you get married, you're going to have lots of challenges, right? It's really hard and it's going to press you. But if you have marriage counseling, it's insanely helpful, right? To have other people who can see your shortcomings, your failures, and point you in the right direction and give you encouragement as well. So find godly wise counselors. Number five. Surround yourself with wise financial advisors and people who are wise themselves financially. So this gets back to I remember early on um, in my wife and I's Christian life, we're in college ministry, and you know you'd get out of church and there'd be all these people. None of us had kids at that point, freshly married, and they'd be like every Sunday, like let's go out to eat. And finally, we realized like hanging out with people like that is really difficult hanging out with people who are in constant debt cuz they're always buying new cars and toys and trinkets is probably not a good thing for us. And so on the one hand, we needed peers who understood and respected and shared some of the same views about financial responsibility, right? These are the kind of people that you want to be around. And number 2, we need wise financial advisors. So this is where older people in the church and some of the the Presbyterian churches that we've been a part of, I remember one guy in particular, was a wealth manager, and so he would he would offer free courses for people in the church. You need to find people like this who are good with their money, who've built wealth, who've owned business, operated businesses, and who can help you think—not uh, like a poor person, not with a scarcity mentality, but to think like a rich person, right? And I know a lot of Christians would be like, "What? Rich? Being rich is horrible and bad," because David Platt told me that. Really, wealth is not a bad thing. Certainly, you can use wealth for the wrong purposes, and it can become an idol in your life, but so can everything good. And the reality here is that we need wise people who can show us how to build Job-like wealth, right? Wealth that can bless future generations. You can be actually investing your money, saving your money, and using it creatively in your 20s so that when you get to 40, you're not in this debt hole. Right? We were talking about in the last episode taking on massive amounts of debt. So, one of the really helpful things here is just to have somebody who can give you practical wisdom how to do your taxes, where to invest, where to put your money, what to put in your 401k if you have one of those, et cetera. If you can be financially stable in your 20s, it's going to impact your marriage. It's going to impact the way you go to work, et cetera. One of the biggest things that I've seen in marriage counseling, like this is cliche but it's cliche for a reason, right? The number of marriages where the stress and frustration and conflict is coming from financial problems, right? So if you can have somebody who can shoot you straight, another man, particularly for men, um, that's really going to help. There was a point in my marriage, I was going to seminary. And this Again, I admit this because it was something that I've repented of. It was incredibly effeminate. I didn't know any better. Uh, people like Russ Moore actually encouraged this sort of thing at the Southern Baptist Seminary but i was going to class and i wasn't working but my wife was right and i know some people will have differences about this i don't actually think it's a good thing at all men are supposed to provide school not school whatever that's my personal conviction about the scripture on this issue i know it caused a lot of problems for me and my my wife right there was a lot of resentment because she had a kid she was working i'm saying she had a kid with her obviously we had the kid together but she's got Our our oldest, she's going to work. She's bringing the kid with her and I'm just doing class. And there was a lot of tension and frustration. And it took an older man in the church. He finally, he kind of put his arm around me and like, Eric, man, your family, like biblically, your family is priority, not your education. And so he just told me, he was like, listen, you know what your family needs? They need you to get a job, be stable in your career, make some money. They can feel that financial security and provision and she can focus on being a mom. And you know what? I didn't like it at the time. In fact, I hated it because I was so gung-ho about, I read Don't Waste Your Life and I'm in seminary, right? But it was also one of the things that I did. I did it because I trusted this guy and uh, he he was a father figure at the time. And you know what? It greatly blessed and enriched my life. Our marriage got better. People were happier. One of the best things that I did. Again, get people who can in your life who can give you good financial sound wisdom. Number six, prioritize a worshiping community and finding your gang. So a lot of the culture today is really bad. A lot of the churches are really bad. People can get frustrated by that. It's really hard to find a good church. And particularly, it's hard to find good men. I just want to encourage you again that you can do this right? But one way or the other, you need to prioritize worship, right? You need to prioritize getting your family to worship, getting under sound teaching, getting around men and women who are godly. And you could say, you know, with the pastor and elders, especially, you could say to your wife, I want you to be like their wives, right? For you, that you could become like the pastor and the elders. These are wise men. They know how to order their households. Otherwise, they shouldn't be elders, so you should be able to go to them and say how do I do this? How do I order my household well? They can provide an example. You need solid worship, solid liturgy, singing the psalms. Right? You need people who are going to encourage you in these good things because everything in the world around you is going to push you away from this. Right? It's it's very interesting in my life because church was a pivotal thing early in my marriage and it it definitely Helped me, and we didn't even really go to that good of a church. Like, looking back, it was very secret sensitive, it was very emergent, but God was also gracious, and that He put people around us who could give quite practical and helpful advice. I mentioned financial advice just a minute ago, but I remember the pastor's wife when my wife was pregnant with our first, we were still in college at the time, my wife's pregnant, and the pastor's wife hosted for the young women just kind of a, a very practical seminar on like, what to expect from childbirth. And it was just incredibly helpful. My wife was encouraged. The other young women were encouraged. Again, having people around you to give practical life advice. And then again, the preaching and worship of the church, the singing, the one another discipling and counseling that happens in the body, the accountability, the encouragement, the exhortation. One of the things that I would say is you need to find a church that 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 believes these same things about mission, right? That believes about legacy, fifty, five hundred year legacy, right? Find people that share your vision. Right? The reality is we're imitated, we, we're shaped by the people we imitate and the people around us. We imitate. Right? We, it's not just that we learn facts, but we become like the people that we surround ourselves with. And so this is hugely, hugely. Important that we pick a church and a community. They're going to point us to Christ. They're going to help us pursue godliness. They're going to help us understand what it means to take dominion, what it means to establish household, all this stuff. They're going to help point us in the right direction. This is huge for you, your family, and your legacy and making the most out of your 20s. Now, seventh and finally, I want to point to this, which I'll call falling in love with the process. Right? I'm pulling this largely from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. But he really makes a strong case in there, which you can check out that review, by the way, in an earlier episode of this podcast. But James Clear really makes the point that, you know, goals are important because they tell us that's the aim, where do you want to get? But systems are really how we get there, right? A system of daily habits are what actually gets us to the achievement of our goal. And the problem is so many of us, we can have goals, but then when you look at your daily activities, your daily life, It's not actually aiming you at that, right? So New Year's resolutions are a really good example. You say, I want to lose weight this year. And then what do you do? You're like, I want to lose weight. And I go to the gym once a week. But we never really stop to think, is that the kind of system that is actually going to get me to that goal? The answer is no. That's why so many people fail because they never establish a repeatable system. So this is really what you need to fall in love with. In your 20s is figuring out which systems work, right? Systems for Bible reading, systems for parenting, systems for ordering your household on a daily basis, systems across the board, and then repeating those. And if you can repeat the system, repeat the process, believe in the process, trust in the process, then you're gonna have long-term results. And so that's really what we need to do is not so much fall in love with results, though the ours, you know, those are good. That's why we're doing the system. But we need to fall in love with the system, physical discipline, disciplining your mind through reading the scriptures, meeting with God's people, practicing hospitality. These are part of the systems and we need to fall in love with them. And the whole point of this is if, if you can do that, then long term in 20 years, if you fall in love with the system and you keep doing it, then of course you're going to have really awesome results. Well, again, that brings us to the end of this episode. I would definitely encourage you to send along your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think about how you can get the most out of your 20s. I hope this has been helpful. And again, we appreciate everyone who is supporting the show. If you're not yet a subscriber, we definitely encourage you to check out ericcon.com. You can become a subscriber today for as little as $5 a month. You can also go to Patreon where you can subscribe there as well. If you get a chance, go to iTunes, leave a five-star review. That definitely helps us out, get the show to more and more people. Again, would encourage your feedback. Send it my way. Love to hear your thoughts about how to get the most out of your 20s. Until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.